Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. I'm going to start with scripture and then I'm going to talk about presuppositional apologetics, evidentialist apologetics. I'm going to give you a name of a great author that I recommend you read, but let's just start with scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1-1, right? We went over this in our sermon in our apologetic series here, Reason for Hope, titled On Ultimate Origins. Now I want to pick up where we left off in Genesis chapter two. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Fascinating story, it would actually be centuries until God would then give the command to keep the Sabbath day holy, but it was always holy from the very beginning. This is a, a principle called progressive revelation, not progressive in the political sense. Progressive is in God gradually revealed his word through the progress of a story. Here's verse four of Genesis two. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At, the, at that time, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground, but mist would come up from the earth and water the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of, of the life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from that land is pure. Bedellium and Onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which runs east of Assyria, and the fourth is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the bird, to the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of the ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. Genesis 2 zooms in on the day of creation, the creation week, six days described in Genesis chapter 1, perfect rhythm, zooms in on the day that God created mankind. 
it accounts for creation order. It accounts for man's dominion over creation. It tells us more about God and also shows us the very first words that God ever spoke to man. As a Christian, uh, I believe that the Bible itself is best believed holistically. I don't think that we go through scripture and we pick out things that are hard for us to believe. And we only start believing when we get to the gospel. If you only believe the part that saves you from hell forever, that's a really convenient part to start believing. So if you are one who disavows Genesis and its creation account, you, you hold to what's called, say, gap theory, for example. This is where some of my, my theistic evolutionist friends come from, where you acknowledge that nothing comes from nothing. You want to hold to evolutionary theory. And uh, as a result, you, you're not satisfied with a, an unguided process. You believe in evolution as the means by which God uh, created everything that exists. That's not a salvific issue, but I do have to ask, at what point do you start believing? Because if you start believing the Bible right before it saves you from eternity in hell, that's a convenient place to start believing. When you practice apologetics and you share someone, the, you know, share the gospel with someone, they are going to trip over some of the miracles of the Bible. Don't get tripped up over miracles in the Bible that are not salvific. It's okay if they disbelieve in Jesus walking on water. It's okay if they disbelieve in his feeding the 5,000. It's okay if they disbelieve in the mechanics of the plagues of Egypt, for example, if they try to come to naturalistic explanations for these miracles. I once led uh, a lifelong atheist to faith in Christ, and that was what he began to try to do, is try to rationalize and explain how these miracles, how this blood rain and these frogs from the sky and these locusts and this plague of darkness were all naturalistic in their, uh, in, in their explanations. And, and he, he would trip up over this, but you don't need to conflate belief in Christianity with belief in every single miracle of the Bible. Belief in the other miracles of the Bible, in my experience, when you lead someone to faith in Christ, practicing apologetics, that all flows once they know the creator. If you believe in God, you believe in one who spoke galaxies into existence. And with such a God, nothing is impossible. So by faith, I believe that God miraculously created. I believe that this is our account. And as a result, I personally do not believe in the theory of evolution. I think that even if I were an atheist, I would have some bones to pick with the theory of evolution. For one thing, the fossil record gives us no such example. The fossil record, we have something called the Cambrian explosion. This layer within the fossil record found over every continent wherein we see every extant species all encased in what I think was the washout from the great flood. This is what I personally believe, but I don't hang my whole gospel hat on this one issue. If somebody wants to disagree with me on this, it's totally okay. I'm not a geologist. I have degrees in drumming and theology and biblical exposition. None in geology, none in archeology. span This is just what I personally believe. Michael Behe is the author that I wanted to recommend so that I knew that our six week series in apologetics was never gonna be comprehensive. There are people who get degrees in apologetics. So I never had any delusions that I was gonna teach you the whole of apologetics in six weeks time. Michael Behe is a great example of an evidentialist apologist who bears fruit in this regard. When you believe the Christian worldview, you believe that what we just read is true. You believe the Judeo-Christian account for the creation of all of the universe and mankind in particular, you already believe in irreducible complexity. The two basic principles that I want you to draw from Michael Behe's writing, Behe again is spelled B-E-H-E, irreducible complexity and specific complexity. This again is an evidentialist apologetic, but it's one that I've seen God use to bear fruit. Within, within uh, irreducible complexity, he takes observed, observed 
examples like throughout creation and shows how they would not come about through an unguided process and one generation's mutation missing one piece from this complex organism would render would render all of evolution untrue. For example, a bacterial flagellum has 40 different moving parts. And if you take just one part away, the whole thing falls down and the species doesn't survive one generation. He talks about mutation largely as something that hinders creation. My family and I can attest to that. When you're born with a critical difference, you're not likely to survive. That all of all of evolution, however, depends upon fortuitous adaptation through mutation wherein your offspring is born with the beginnings of another appendage and that later on would yield a more likely uh, a higher likelihood of survival but within irreducible complexity we're arguing for this we're arguing for all the heavens and the earth complete just like this and the other uh, form of complexity that Behe argues for is specific complexity Meaning it's not just it's not just this random gizmo. It's actually designed for a specific purpose. Back to the example of the bacterial flagellum, the little tail that the bacterium uses to navigate its environment. And think of it like trying to swim through peanut butter. If you're microscopic and you're a bacterium, it, that's about what it's like. So you need a very strong engine. You need a very well-designed motor to get through your environment. This was not just designed in a complex way for complexity's sake. It was designed with complexity that serves a specific purpose. And these all point to design. All right, so if you wanna learn more about this, I recommend Dr. Behe's books, B-E-H-E. -E. Tomorrow we'll talk about another evidentialist apologist that I've seen God use to bear fruit. Again, I'm more of a presuppositionalist myself, but I don't want there to be infighting in the world of Christian apologetics. I think that the whole purpose of this is to share Christ with people. And I evaluate an apologetic method based on the spiritual fruit that God uses, uses it to bear. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. It's okay if it's overwhelming at first. I just want to introduce these concepts to you. I want you to learn more about Dr. Behe's writings. It's great, but it's not the gospel. Okay, don't ever stop short of the gospel. Don't ever forsake the Bible. Be bold in your Christian apologetics because you know the truth by name. He's Jesus. The person on the other side of the table from you doesn't yet know that they're not neutral. They don't yet realize they're not objective. They are still wearing the same sin-stained lenses that you and I were born with. They don't yet know the grace. They don't yet know the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. They don't yet know Jesus, so bring Jesus into your apologetics. Otherwise, it's incomplete. Are you ready? Go.